from TMP to TTNG For sure the care in those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive Mineral snowing high tide hotel you're and more Episode 49 of the E-Word. This is our 90-minute time crisis episode. Uh, <laughs> this is our follow-up to A Decade Under the Influence concluding. We're, we're, we're just going to wrap that up, and we're going to talk about where do we go from here. And we also called out for your questions, and we have a mailbag episode. So it's a loose episode. It's a cool-down episode because, you know, we took on some huge episodes just basically since this year. Yeah. Yeah. But at the top, this is Kyle. I'm recording here in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm joined by my friend Ellie in Austin, Texas. Ellie, how's it going? I think Time Crisis 3 is the best Time Crisis game. Yeah, If for I, like, sure. really had. Yeah, because that is the one that's, like, most fun to play with, like, somebody at your side. Time Crisis 4 kind of gets, like, weighed down by all the extra stuff that they threw in. I'm doing okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm excited to be recording. It's been two weeks, I think. Um, and this is the first time where we don't have any episodes banked up. So it's all current right now. Yeah, we were recording like one or two episodes a week for a minute there. Mm-hmm. Just making big use of the quarantine. But I think we're we're slowing down to a more manageable pace right now. Yeah. Uh, should we introduce our guest or no? Uh, no. No, they, <laughs> they'll do it themselves. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm Alex. I play in a band called Infant Island. Hello. Hey. You know, Alex, I was ju- I just realized this like 20 minutes before we started recording, but every Scram Cave admin except for Mark and Rosa has now been on the podcast. <laughs> oh, God. I can't imagine Mark on this podcast. Your your goal of an hour and a half would become three hours very quickly. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm fully aware. Don't worry. <laughs> I love I love them to death. But uh, who are the Scram Cave admins that have been on this podcast? Um, Megan from Foxdales has been on the podcast. Uh, Tamir has been on the podcast. And me, I've been on the podcast. You, me. <laughs> and I think that's it. Yeah. Are there any old Scram Cave admins that have been on the pod? Um, no. Probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Scram Cave admins only step down when they get canceled. So, well, Yo, for the most know. part. <laughs> yeah, we've dodged 
the bullets so far. Are there any Screamo podcasts? I don't know Ooh. that. I... Oh, Sean. Sean Decker. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything remade. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know about that. They're pumping out pods, too. Like, episodes of every week. It's crazy. Yeah, and you can just directly listen to them on the Middleman Records Bandcamp page. That's a good idea. Well, is there anything that we need to talk about regarding quarantine? Do we do we want to just kind of tiptoe that? Uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're good because there's going to be like questions addressing it later. True, I think true. Well, I guess Alex, you are in the middle of two records coming out. Do you want Do you want to tell us about those? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's sort of weird to be putting out like two records at the same time. But uh, was that the plan though? Loosely, we were trying to put out a. Uh, um back in march but there were a number of uh hiccups in the recording production process etc which really uh prevented that from happening but we wanted to put out put it out before the record that's coming out on may 15th uh beneath coming out on down nights productions very exciting um so we're like well we gotta we gotta rush and put this out uh, so we just dropped it at the beginning of this cycle as like to hopefully like hype up like the other record because we haven't put anything out in like two years really substantially mm-hmm. we put out a split last year with frail body masanera and diana Krolls. um i think am i allowed to like plug one of not like plug but like mention that one of them was on the freshman list <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not getting for them i think there are a ton of great bands on there but you know you know I, so like you know people who are related to the pod i guess in some way but like we only had one song on that so it felt like we had to like kind of splash when we came back sort of from that but yeah i don't know uh, it's been like really awesome to have so much support behind especially the last record the one we just put out uh it was like it's kind of surprising to me at least i don't know but we had a lot of really cool plans following the release of these records we were supposed to like tour like do a full us and then we were going to europe for two weeks uh, and we're gonna play fluff fest which is like insane to me but like looks like pretty much all of that is getting canceled so you but you're also getting like a like a really cool premiere happening right i think it might already happen by the time this episode's out i think it's like 99 percent confirmed uh <laughs> but there should be a cool premiere for beneath um and i think there's going to be some pretty cool like coverage for it as well i'm already really hype on all of the press we've been getting you know the more the merrier <laughs> yeah i i mean one thing that i've noticed uh for brooklyn vegan has just been all over the whole screamo scene and giving him oh, like Andrew Sacker. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Sacker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super thankful. Um, he's been like so nice and helpful uh, and loves screamo, which is awesome. <laughs> All right. Should we dive into uh, dive into our topics here? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll start off with some follow up, which was the vulture list episodes and the Gami episode and the 2019 episode. Uh, the vulture episodes. I didn't think they draw up so much discussion but people had opinions about them people were like asking about them and stuff so i'm very surprised for some reason yeah i wasn't expecting people to like listen to us literally just like talk about 100 songs in a row i i honestly had like a lot of fun with those episodes like mainly because rather than just trying to be like uh like an objective this is what the best emo songs of all time are it kind of just became like a like a history of like major flashpoints in the Absolutely. genre. And I thought that was fun, especially cause we got like a wide range of age perspective with our guests. I don't know. I'm listening to a lot of the bands from the list now that I either just kind of spaced out on or f- 
forgot about, etc. Um, but yeah. 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 Uh, How fucking good is Sarge? That band Sarge rules. Sarge is good. Yeah. I listen to a yeah, lot I, of Jejun now too. Oh, oh yeah. God, I love the Jazz June. Jejun. So sick. Jejun. Jejun. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> And... Oh, but don't listen to that in June. Apparently, they're fascists. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they are. Yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> I went to a DIY show where the guy on stage was wearing a Death in June shirt and got into a big debate on stage about it with someone in in the back of the room, and it was like it is still like the most like awkward show experience I've ever witnessed. I think the most awkward show. I I wasn't personally there, but I've heard the recording of it, and I think like the most awkward show. I've ever listened to is uh, when Chokehold got back together and like started talking about All Lives Matter on stage because <laughs> they were they were like this like uh, hyper political uber politically correct band in the 90s and uh, I don't know what it is with fucking Canadians but either you go the way of propaganda or you go the way of All Lives Matter I'm putting my police sticker on on the back of my truck <laughs> There was the girl biscuits thing where it got, it was just like poor wording, and it came out as all lives matter. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that Siv was trying to say all lives matter no. at all. It was just but... a poor choice of words that led to that. It was like yeah. it was fucking curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> we also put out, yeah, so we put out the the decade under the influence twenty nineteen episodes. Um, Origami Angel episode was super great. Yeah, I feel really that's... weird because like I'm from Virginia and I, I've never met them or the Commander Salamander people. So like, if you're listening, hit me up. <laughs> it's weird. I really think yeah, you would get along with like all that all that click. To be honest, it's it's kind of weird because like I grew up in like the DC Nova DIY scene. Like when that was when the first time that existed, or like the last time it existed before this batch of people. So like, it's cool to, like hear like bands doing that there again. Because for a while it was pretty dead. What what's their venue? Something acres. It's a VFW. Oh, Grateful Acres is in Maryland. I've played there, but oh. uh, the no the Northern Virginia venue is at a VFW, oh, which right. is like kind of classic. That's tight. Yeah. Um, and then the 2019 episode, that's the most recent one with short fictions and Shingard. I think that's a very charming episode. I don't know. Yeah, and it was nice to get some uh, some Yin's representation. You know. I had no idea what Ian's was until that. What? Yeah. What? It's, yeah. It's the Pittsburgh Y'all. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's I was awesome. gonna say it's, it's Steel City for Y'all. Actually, the first show I ever booked for a band out of state was with Short Fictions uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I booked a show because I was like booking a tour slash managing uh, all of my bandmates' old band, Small Hand. So like a shoegaze emo band, which I guess will come up later. But uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was like the first day of tour was at Sam from Short Fiction's old house, um, Upton Sinclair, and it was in the attic of the house. And the last set was it was the last show that was happening at this house. So like there was a, a celebratory battle set between Short Fiction's and this other band, Distant Futures and uh they ended with like i think it was a joyce manor cover where both bands played the song at the same time with like two drummers and like i think like a trumpet and shit it was like insane but also in the top of this like tiny attic in the middle of the summer and it was so fucking hot (laughs) what what year was this 2015 or 2016 
That's extremely 2015 energy. Yeah. To be honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. We have a segment of all the shit that's happened too. I feel like there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in between all of our episodes that we haven't caught up on. Um, some of these are brand new though. We have a new logo. We have rebranded the podcast to someone giving the finger to the American Football House. Partly because Chill Wave kept saying, give us a high quality version of the logo. But like I had I still have no idea what I'm doing with using any kind of photo editing software, but like that's it. Like there is no high resolution version of that of our old logo. It was it was yeah, done all- like three and a half years ago on a web browser site photo editor. <laughs> Also, like to a degree, I don't know how much I wanted our logo to literally just be the cover of Enserenating. I know. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> when, whenever I saw the Enserenating cover, I'd be like, oh, what's the word doing? And then I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that that image uh, was a great representation. I tried to do some research as to where that photo emerged, but like people have taken it and reposted it so many times that I couldn't find the real person to try and give them credit and uh, you know that makes sense it's just part of the ether now you know it's the it belongs to diy it doesn't belong to any one person mm-hmm. um i made an emo revival bracket when that was hot and it went fucking crazy it it ended up on the pop punk merch wall do you have any other thoughts about the bracket do you think it was an unfair i mean i, I specifically tried to make it hard yeah, it was hard but doable. I think what would have made it impossible for me is if you had the like the matchup be title fight and touche right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like, I needed to I needed to build up the courage for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the freshman class is happening right now. Maybe this will be done by Monday. I think I'm gonna take it down on Tuesday. Um, but currently we're on pace of last year's, which had 900 votes. I didn't realize we had that many votes last year, but we're at like 600 right now. Like we have like a top four that are locked in for sure. But after that, like they can go anywhere. The our email response has been, "Who the fuck are any of these bands?" Which is kind of telling that our emo's out of touch. I think we made the correct choice uh, with because I think I think what also we did with the logo was completely and finally separate our tie from our emo yeah. like in any official capacity um i i think that's because like right now is about the time that emo reddit is no longer like relevant in the in the sphere it's entirely migrated to twitter and instagram yeah i mean there's some crossover but it's very few and i think like you just have to log on to our email and just go through two posts and then you'll notice how fucking tone deaf people are now yeah, especially because all the people who used to be like active on our emo are now much more active like on DIY Twitter. Yeah. Um which really just takes us to our next to my next point which everyone online is extra fucking <laughs> stupid right now. I don't know if it's because everyone's just staring at their phones or computers the whole time, but like any like the people in our replies and any other replies and the replies in any post anywhere is just like extra fucking dense you know it's weird because you'd imagine that during quarantine people would have like an extra second to think about the (laughs) shit that they say before they press send or they before they smash that send tweet button but yeah yeah. uh it's it's more like they don't have anything else to do 
So, like, literally every malformed, ill-informed thought that pops into their head, they're like, oh, shit, everyone that I know needs to know this right now. I'm definitely guilty of this. Like, <laughs> I've, I've just been spamming group chats with, like, jokes that are only funny to me for, like, the past <laughs> month and a half. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're just experiencing a severe uh, social skill deterioration, like, globally right now. <laughs> I think people just aren't interacting, and we're just losing all of that valuable socialization that we've built up for however long we've been alive. And it's just, like, it's evaporating out of our pores, and we're just going to, at the end of this, like, be banging sticks and rocks together, and that's that's it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I will say I'm glad that the the freshman class seemed to restore the goodwill that mm-hmm. the Eward that the Eward account lost after I. It's time. It's time to talk about this, I guess. Um, so that that bracket that was like all the early 2000s indie bands, and then in the center it said like "fuck you, listen to real music." So. Would you like to know who made that image? Who like created that and told me to post it? I knew that it wasn't you because it was Instagram. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know who it would be. It's it was a uh, David Anthony, <laughs> <laughs> and he was because him and him and Dan Ozzy basically like just keep texting each other like shit that they want to tweet but they know that they can't because people are extra fucking dumb right now and so david anthony was like i've been wanting to to just post this and see what happens but i i feel like that's bad for my representation and so i was like i'll do it (laughs) (laughs) and like the the obvious joke is that like like the concept of real music doesn't exist like what i'm making fun of is that these were like the bands that the gatekeepers wanted you to listen to back in the day. Like these were like the critically acclaimed real music bands, so to speak. Uh, what I didn't count on is that, uh, people who follow us on Twitter are like a, a little bit too young to remember the blogosphere or else. I think the joke would have been much more pronounced. You know, like, you know, who got it immediately? <laughs> Ian Cohen. Ian Cohen was like, Oh, okay. I, I see what's happening. And I, I like, I uh, normally like if I just post something inflammatory, I just let people go off on the replies. But it was just such a bummer to see so many people not understand the joke. I I wasted way too much time like replying to people. Like someone from the alternative retweeted it, and I was like, "You might be surprised to know that this uh, this obvious shit post that came from an account with a profile picture that is flipping off the American Football House is in fact a joke." You know, like it sucked to have to like walk people through it over and over and over again. So did it suck when someone was like, "Okay, but this band is good," and they weren't actually a good band? Yeah, it sucked when someone like defended Arctic Monkeys because that band is like a steaming pile of shit, like responsible for some of the biggest musical crimes of the 21st century. Um, Look, uh, Arctic Monkeys was my middle school fave. Okay, I was on Tumblr. Okay, come on. Yeah, did you also have a fucking lava lamp, you basic bitch? I fucking did. <laughs> Arctic it was Monkeys orange. A- Arctic Monkeys AM is big time like lava lamp music. Oh god. Well, I mean, I was way past them when that came out. Yeah, I did. I did like. Um, I did like some of the bands. Like, obviously, I talk about liking Bright Eyes and Modest Mouse and Broken Social would... Scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Death Cab. Death Cab. 
Yeah, like, obvious, obviously Death Cab. But here's, like, here's a, here's a hot one. The first Shins album, impeccable. No, oh, the Shins. I like the first two Shins cr- albums. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're outvoted, Ellie. All right, I can't. I can't make my joke now. No, what I was gonna say is that, uh, like, the Shins is music for people who don't know what it's like to not be able to afford drugs. <laughs> oh well, I, I'm straight I up. Still, so <laughs> I can still appreciate that joke. Thank you. I I appreciate your appreciation. I, um, I don't appreciate jokes about drugs. They're not a joke. <laughs> I'm wearing a Dare T-shirt right now. You know I'm what? Not. Drugs. You're the joke. You know. Yeah. Um. Also, the other the other happening, which I think is the most shocking here, is that I like Worst Party Ever now. That's that's a big shock to me because they were like the first hand that I remember you saying, I think I'm too old to get this. I listened to <laughs> some of the new stuff and some of the old stuff. I don't think I liked that album that came out when I was talking about them at first. I think Japan is what it's called. But I think I think that I think that guy can like it can compact a song so perfectly and get enough done in like in in like 90 seconds than a lot of bands could and i was like this shit actually whips like it's great um, i saw them in the show notes and I'd, i've seen them around like online mm-hmm. but i never listened to them so i like went out of their band camp and i listened to like one song because it was like 1 30 a.m and uh i was listening to it and i was like this kind of sounds like the belinda butchers but like emo oh no i don't know well when you put it like that I yeah. might have to give my reason. I mean, I don't know if it's just the one song or anything, but like that was the vibe I got. <laughs> like that's the other it's kind of difficult because they had because some of their songs have like eight instruments and a lot of them only have like a guitar and a vocal line and that's it. Uh but the new stuff has like some some like synth and stuff on it, which is surprisingly really like works really well for his voice and stuff. But um yeah, I I mean I really fuck with it now. I I need to revisit them because like my uh, my initial take on them is that they were kind of like they're kind of not my thing by virtue of being part of not I'm not necessarily saying they like sound like Fredo Disco or or Mom Jeans, but just kind of like a part of that general wave. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that they are really good at like writing songs. They just like don't connect with me personally. So. A decade under the influence is done, and I think we should properly wrap it up with some thoughts. Um, we have s- sort of a blueprint to get us through this. Alex, I would totally like your takes as well, so you're not just on the sidelines talking about something that. Oh, well, I guess Alex, no. ha- have you listened to all of them? I have listened to most of them. Yeah. I actually, I I do listen to the E word actually. A contrary to popular belief. Um, I mean, but, you got a uh, leg. You got a leg up on like half of our guests, mm-hmm. to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I spent like a good portion of the time in the past, like four or five days, like trying to re-listen to them. Not that I like made it through all of them, because like I think I fell asleep because I listened to like podcasts before I go to bed. But um, I, I think I have a good enough uh, understanding of how it went again now. So it's like caught up. Hopefully, I can give some valuable input. So, did you think the series went the way that you thought it would? So, like, uh, I think a lot of the number ones up until, like, 2017 were not very surprising to me. Uh, 
and I guess we'll get to this later, but like 2017 is sort of when I like fell out of emo for like the most part and like didn't really like find new material like on my own. But a lot of like the the number ones didn't really surprise me for some of those years, especially the bigger ones like 2013, like 2014. I was like, I wasn't sure like what would be number what would be at the top. There were some things I think like maybe like got missed like left out maybe because like like screamo. I don't know like. I'm like definitely obviously like a little biased towards that at the moment because that's like the scene that I exist in. And I, I guess I consider Screamo to be like derivative of emo in like a more like concrete way than I think a lot of people do. Not derivative as in like, it, like as in it derives from, not as in like it takes yeah, like, like, sound something from anymore. It's a direct continuation of like emo in like the pure sense, you know? A, a descendant you if you yeah. you know um but yeah i don't know yeah i think i think generally it went the way i would expect it to i think that emo as a whole as a genre has maybe gone away i didn't expect it to though um, right. so yeah. get into that when we get to like observations uh two things two things that i was like expecting us to have to deal with that we didn't deal with um we never had a, a mobo album when and we never had yeah. a mom jeans out. Like I was expected to have to like cross those bridges sooner or later, but uh, luckily I, we still remain on the other side of the water. I was surprised we didn't have to do a mobile album or a Marietta album. Oh yeah, Marietta was surprised. I was like completely expecting Marietta to win, like both years that they were up. I mean, I feel like I see Marietta as like in stock records on their record labels websites, so not super surprising to me i'll be honest uh, no, there, yeah but our fan base is very pro marietta yeah i mean good for them <laughs> <laughs> no shade at all i am still surprised that goodness won outright because it's a huge album but it's polarizing like still i mean i thought I'm, i guess that would be the most surprising of the winners as well for me like uh i feel like when that album came out like the press loved it but like a lot of people who weren't maybe diehard fans of the Hotelier were not like super into it. My secret theory is that um, after we did the first episode with Christian and they tweeted about it, we got a big old influx of Hotelier fans who stuck around, who, who like stuck around just long enough to like vote for goodness. Could be. That feels plausible. It does. I guess as a. Not on how the voting shook out, but on the way of just how we were able to get guests, how we did the episodes. Did you think that went, like, at the start of the decade under the influence, did you see it going the way that it actually kind of played out? Some guests uh, not being secured, us even finishing this, etc. Aside from, like, uh, early on not being able to snag Zach Lacamora, I think that like we experienced just an extremely good run of luck like yeah with every single one of the guests and i i think like we got a huge boost at the very start because shout out keith for helping facilitate this but getting all of the members of snowing on to talk about that record that was just like that that was like a that was like a celebrity emo event in my head yeah you know that was like a fucking seed investment for our small business. 
Yes. <laughs> like, it wouldn't have been able to happen. Like, I think Christian said, like, all right, I read who was on your podcast. I was like, all right, I'll talk. Like, imagine if it was just nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that kind of stuff just snowballs, you know? I, it's the same with, like, doing press for a record, you know? As mm-hmm. soon as you get, like, one person who bites, you can be like, oh, this person is bit on this, like, podcast, like, appearance. Like, look, we have clout. We're, like, real. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it becomes, like, real. You become, like, more, I guess, like, credible as a result of it, you know? Yeah. And just, like, I think it, it, it was also just kind of a domino effect from, like, the last, like, two years of doing the pod, like... Our, as our network like just grew and grew and grew and we started having more friends of friends of friends of people who were like in contact with bands that we previously felt were like untouchable even within the DIY sphere so it's, I mean, it, it's kind of unreal I mean I've always like felt like you all from like a, a while now have been one of like the bigger podcasts and like DIY emo like so I, I guess like it's kind of a small market in general like larger than it used to be but it's still like kind of a a pretty like insulated sphere of people. I think like you all being like kind of out front of that is definitely like helpful, you know. Like I I can I like associate all we all with like the washed up podcast as well. I don't know. I don't listen to that one, but like similar sizes in in my view of it. I don't know. Well, like I think this kind of carved our niche as like the emo revival sphere, and washed up emo is definitely like older yeah. like the, emo Midwest. yeah yeah definitely like the the 90s like more indie emo um or like early emo pop like yeah. leaning sound as definitely like tom's lane i think i think another thing that that helps us stick out is that we, we we've been getting lucky with guests like the entire time we've had the podcast pretty much mm-hmm. like I don't I don't think we've like ever outright said no to anyone because their band wasn't big enough but we also were just like are blessed to be friends with people who are in bands that blow up <laughs> by by the time Summer City won their their year it was our third time having Ryland on and it was just like I, like that was really eye opening it was like holy fuck like I was thinking about this like Oregon Angels probably like the biggest emo band like currently right now, like yeah, I think like they are where Mom Jeans were in 2017. I, I 100% agree. Um, and so that's, I think that's why that episode was like so good because I I we're gonna like get into like what our favorites were later, but like that episode felt like a victory lap. Yeah, like exactly not just for like our series, but like for Gami and like for our relationship with Gami, mm-hmm. like throughout the years. I don't know. It was, it was, it's just been a really, really fun experience. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think this series will go down as something that defines the E word? Do you think people are going to look back on this as peak E word? I mean, I, I hope not. I hope like our best days are still in front of us. Yeah. You know, um, but this is definitely going to be like, uh, I I think this is gonna go down as like, oh, this is their really good first LP, but for like the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think what's interesting is like this replaced us just shit talking. Yes, yeah, I I think that also was was cool because like 
it's not it's not like we were trying to shit talk it just kind of naturally happened but then we did the series where like the goal was to like document and talk up a genre mm-hmm. that we loved so it became it became something more wholesome and i think that also like boosted us because we we crossed the 1000 and 2000 twitter follower mark while doing this project i think yeah i think that's true so like we grew a thousand people like by being wholesome even though we're not wholesome on twitter <laughs> yeah i'm i'm a little i'm a little bit of a, i'm a little bit of a shit out of pocket <laughs> um, i mean i definitely i definitely think like this is maybe like what will cement you all as like a staple in the the scene as far as like the podcast goes like we were saying before like especially for like emo revival this like era of emo and like going forward like taking like a more active like coverage standpoint you know because like i don't see like the e-word going anywhere like as far as like i think it's like here to stay you know i i, I don't see how you all can like not just like go up from here maybe that's that was nice to hear i mean we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll see how we manage to fuck this up <laughs> i mean there's always going to be a new emo as for the foreseeable future. And yeah. there maybe isn't a need, but there will definitely be a want for like good analytical, analytical coverage of it. And I think you all like provide like great analysis of like trends and what's going on as well yeah. as good shit talking. <laughs> well, emo sports center. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, ESPN emo, uh, sports, uh, something network. <laughs> emo screamo. <laughs> Um, e- emo screamo <laughs> podcast network <laughs> oh word. there we go so this is the big question of like in doing this series what takeaways do you have from it and what were some of the observations you've noticed on micro and macro levels i threw some in here or one in here that like i think one of the most obvious ones were just like we saw some slower years that seemed as recharging years to get back on track like i think 2012 was a was a bit of a dip but we also saw like Altranon break up and snowing broke up um and then 2017 was another year that kind of took the boil down to a simmer and i think both of those resulted in like diy scenes cropping up so that was one of my observations yeah um to, to me like kind of like just charting the progress of the scene it felt like 2010 and 2011 was like oh this is that twinkle revival thing was like very very much a late 2000s phenomenon and so 2010 and 2011 was kind of like the final blazing glory of of that scene and then 2012 aside from glocka it was like a, a recharge year um and things were percolating again and then 2013 there was just a huge, huge sea change with uh, the world is. Yep. And so emo kind of like, instead of being like really niche, just became part of like the amorphous pop punk and emo and hardcore blob that, that defined like the next several years. And then it dipped again in 2017 as I think emo reached another, like, uh, I don't want to say stagnation, but like a plateau point. And it like that that was like the the most polarized from all the other facets of DIY that I've seen emo in a long time. And then 2018 and 2019, it's becoming more like, oh, emo 
and screamo and diy is everyone's just kind of like dipping dapping in all the scenes it's not just like people don't fuck with each other in the hardcore scene versus the emo scene etc so really it's just like a a chart of like how involved and insular uh the emo scene is like compared with the rest of the diy i think like this this like time period which y'all have laid out really resonates with me i i think i first really got into emo in 2013 like when that like that sea change happened as you put it um and i think i sort of fell out in 2017 because there you know i was like becoming more active in like the scene as far as like being in like a music maker is like like i think 2016 is when i started my band currently and you know emo had been like a really big part of like high school and college for me at that point and i was kind of like you know like hitting like like striking out on like finding things that i was like interested in in 2017 you know so i sort of like ended up like devoting more of my time to like screamo that's part of like why like i don't really know a lot of like the bands from the last couple years like in depth the way i would bands from between like 2013 and 2017 so like I don't know, it makes sense to me because like I think the the piece of media that really got me into emo in the first place, like beyond like a basic knowledge, was probably like Ian Cohen's Pitchfork review of Whenever If Ever, which is still like a really important album for me. Um, like I remember seeing that album cover on the Pitchfork plugin on Spotify, which is a throwback, <laughs> um, and thinking, wow, that's kind of like a cool cover, and what a fucking weird name. Let me check this out, and I don't know, it resonated really well with me and like it's history (laughs) i don't know i think it makes sense though because you know nothing is like sustainable forever and i think the trends that like happen like within genres you know they reach a peak at some point obviously can i just say you know 2017 kind of a dead zone for emo and 2017 e-word starts 2018 and 2019 e-word on top emo on top that's all i'm saying (laughs) that's all i'm saying (laughs) I buy it. I buy it. So one of those macro questions that I wanted to ask was, do you think that emo in this decade was better when it was more DIY? Yes, for me. I mean, the best album out of all of this, in my opinion, is Algernon's Parrot Flies, which I think is like one of the defining ultra lo-fi like very diy twinkle emo albums of that era um Mm -hmm. i think it it, it just had kind of like a obviously it was like a derivative of captain jazz to some degree but it felt like very exhilarating and um like something new and old at the same time and it had like this this subcultural cachet that i think maybe um, emo's kind of like lost throughout the last couple of years, but I think it's st- I think it's starting to come back. That that sense of like, oh, we're we're part of like a vibrant scene that's that's happening. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think we were talking about this in the chat earlier, and I don't want to get too far into it because you know it's kind of like dramatic. But I think like a lot of like that vibrance which you're talking about like was so spurred on by this like this like hub like several different like hubs of like record labels which really like propelled a lot of bands to like the forefront of not just emo but like like diy culture as a whole um and like seeing those like kind of bastions fall like repeatedly was like kind of i think devastating in a way 
to the way yeah. that like the scene operated and lost a lot of those connections with like press and etc which like was expanding the listener base for the genre as a whole and i think it's certainly just more encouraging and inspiring when it's on a diy level yeah definitely like it makes you think i can do this i can be a part of this versus like when you're on triple crown records it's out of reach as fuck yeah absolutely um but like i think that there are examples of like some not diy albums that like made this list and that are very good but i still think like it is better when it's diy but it's also i think some of that falls victim to the early material is better yeah and also like some of the some of the most important and artistically accomplished albums of this era um are definitely like the albums that came out during like the almost mainstream period that emo had like whenever if ever and home like no place yeah. like and I, those are two very important massive albums and they were also like very successful by the standards of the scene at the time yeah i think that sort of connects to an observation i had um and it's something i've been thinking about outside of like just like a decade under the, under the influence but um i feel like and this is a trend in any genre but i feel like as you know a style becomes more popular it becomes a little bit more homogenous generally um not like necessarily in writing but in production quality which can affect like how something just like sounds like just like the style of production that exists at like a higher budget level is going to be more like professional sounding you know quote unquote which is in itself its own style and really colors i think the output so i think if you look at like a world a later world is album or like goodness from the hotelier like those albums sound more similar than like early material not necessarily because the writing is isn't innovative and interesting but to, just because like it's mixed and recorded and mastered a certain way that is like co it's like which which is a result of having more money to put into that process so i think you end up with a more a more homogenous sound not necessarily style but sound which is less i think for me it's less easy to connect to and to relate with as like somebody who's been involved with diy and i think it ends up with maybe things becoming a little bit more like harder to discern from one another i don't know if that makes sense it does make sense i think uh, if we're gonna use like the world as an hotelier as signposts, like their breakthrough albums, respectively, whenever, if ever, and home, like uh, it was like all their idiosyncrasies, like all their idiosyncrasies um, and individual ticks as songwriters, but like amplified. And then after that, um, it 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 became something like from from a production standpoint more. I don't want to say like sand it down or even necessarily like worse songwriting, but it, yeah. it, it felt like uh, less, it felt less personal uh, exactly, or less intimate, mm-hmm. less and intimate, I think, I think is the right word. <laughs> I think it has to do with like the expectations of like emo as a genre as well. Like if you're on a bigger label, like there's pressure on you to like, rec- like make a certain sound and record with certain people, etc. Like I would say for heavy music, a similar thing, like or like hardcore music, like uh, like Kurt Ballou 
has is like a good example of like mm. a producer a record who has like a specific sound which is really uh i think it's uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't know it's um synonymous with uh like a specific style of music like a later world is or hotelier record or like any emo record like that has more money put into it has this like emo sound which is should we call it yippification (laughs) (laughs) maybe uh but i think that's a good example although i think william has like work that doesn't necessarily like fill it as well so i don't really know like where to place so does so does skirt blue i know i know and i think and i think that's like sort of like where i think it has to do with like the cultural expectation of like what an emo record is supposed to sound like whereas like at a when you're doing a more diy effort maybe you don't have that expectation put onto you which can lead to maybe a more innovative or experimental production style yeah yeah i because like there's definitely like stereotypes of like like Kurt Ballou's production of stereotype is like all low end and like really high gain guitar um, and like very gritty but dry and punchy or like how Will Yip's uh, production gets kind of stereotyped as like glossy and watery and like room noise on the vocals etc. Snare sound. <laughs> snare sound. Uh, flanger. <laughs> um, yeah the both both producers and most of the bands that they've worked with definitely are not homogenous in yeah, any way but you hear it and you know like what it is as far as a genre is and like what it what what culture it belongs to is what i mean i guess mm, yeah i can see that um that's my take on it i think like but that i think that then influences the next wave to like exist in a certain way um so you see this like sort of change as a result of like these pressures which are maybe not necessarily like immediately identifiable. Yeah. Yeah. Any other observations quick? No, I uh, think that's that's all I got personally. A short one. Um I feel like like it's interesting to see like the change from like twinkle to like what I'd call like post emo another question from later I guess like where it's like post rock influence emo to what I'd call like the newer bands like and this isn't derogatory in any kind of way but uh like like sort of proggy where you have like this like mashup of a lot of different styles in like sort of a like excitingly haphazard way uh like proggy emo or something I don't know that's like where my mind goes well, yeah, I feel I feel like when we like tackle that question, we could kind of uh, slice into like all the all the different bands uh, because I think it's a pretty broad range of bands that get kind of put into the post emo bucket. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think like viewing what the current trend is, you know. Yeah, I think I like, think like that. I think like that in 2019 and 2020 is like is like a real observation that like it's all this music that's like shooting for the moon and throwing everything in very riffy yeah. very like technical and like it's it like knows that it's technical and embraces that yeah yeah and it's it's definitely like sp- sprouting from like the sparkle punk party emo type stuff but definitely. there's the there's the sense of like adventure and ambition maybe kind of like wasn't present before so I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah. I would say musically, it feels a lot more upbeat as well, in general. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Party emo was actually like mostly a bummer. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. 40 minutes on Time Crisis episode. So, so what episodes do you think were the best? Maybe you have some that you think are underrated. I think best episode would probably be the Home Like No Places There episode. Just Ellie's deep dive on the on the lyric stuff is immaculate. Christian being as open and down helped that. And I think an unrated one is the one with Keith from Empire Empire because he had uh, yeah so, I definitely agree. He had so many fucking great stories about the band that we are currently talking about. Even if he had never heard them, he talked about someone like stealing records at their house or something like that. I don't remember what the exact story was. But yeah. Um, I was going to say that was my favorite episode. Really? That's awesome. I would listen, I would listen to a full podcast that of just like Keith telling like wacky stories about like oh, the label. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think most of our guests, like we establish a report with them pretty well but keith was someone who was just like on our wavelength the second we started yeah a very very silly person yeah yeah i think the keith episode is underrated i think the david anthony episode is underrated and i think the Corey episode is underrated yeah. mostly because it came out like amid the flurry of prince daddy podcasts it was it, it would be hard to not get lost in the shuffle my top three episodes that we did though are snowing uh, home like no places there and somewhere city which i think is cool because we started out strong we were buoyed in the middle by a real strong episode and then we ended off real strong and all three of those episodes uh i think the thing they have in common is that the guest was just like very open and gracious about uh all the subject matter and was willing to go in depth and share not just like you know, funny stories and stuff, but like the real like emotional nitty gritty of the album, which is what the yeah. genre is all about. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's what is really magical about the snowing episode is because it's like they were all remembering it and their emotions tied to it, especially John for the lyrics part. But like, I think what that episode was really special at doing was like, like there were four people that made the album and it's not just John and like they all were like, very invested in like their own like just like down to their own parts within the song like they all remembered yeah. that and i was like damn that's awesome if if snowing didn't get back together that would probably be remembered as the episode of the e-word where john Gollum cried though now it's the episode of the e-word where snowing got back together yeah <laughs> i don't want it to seem like we're making fun of john though because like holy shit like yeah. how gracious and I think it, I think to be an artist um, and be able to talk to people who love your art about what that art means is like the highest form of generosity, mm -hmm. personally. So then, do you think there were any? Do you think there's anything that we left out? Were there any missed opportunities to cover a certain scene and just bands or genres that kind of got locked out because of voting? I mean, obviously, I'm going to be a little biased here. I'm going to say, like, I wish there was more Screamo. Like, I'm not, like, a super Screamo kid, but, like, I definitely was, like, there's no Ostrock on the 2015 voting. What is happening? I think I messaged Ellie about it. I was, like, Deathless. <laughs> Such an important album, <laughs> I think. Or even, like, Last by Ostrock. I think, like, that band is so influential in Screamo. I feel, like, blessed every day to know those people in real life. <laughs> That's my take. Uh, I have some albums that I like 
really liked from these years that I I kind of went through last night. But like, I don't know if y'all want like a list of like albums that I think people should listen to. <laughs> sure, just blast from the them past off. decade. Uh, okay, so in 2010, uh, I don't know. Also, correct me if these were covered, but I don't think they were. Mounts for Clouds, 2010. Some people by scenery like this. I fell in love with like instrumental like twinkly emo through that album like it's so good it's really short also so like if you need like like lo-fi chill twinkle to relax and study to uh great album uh they actually just broke up as well which is sad okay, i don't know broke up i don't know if this is like they count as an emo band as well uh but pinbacks information retrieved like i know people have referred to them as emo and also not as emo but like I really love that album as well. It's like a really good, like for me, it's kind of like an emotional album as well in like a pretty like visceral way. I don't know. If they'd formed in 2013, I think they'd be like grant, like considered part of like the prawn wave. Oh yeah. I agree. Uh, sure. Totally. But they formed in like 1997 or something. So too bad. I, I think maybe even before that, just cause Rob Crow was just like kicking around the San Diego scene for like so long. But um, I mean, I love him. Have you all yeah. listened to Goblin Cock? Yes. Yes. I love that band. Did you listen to that? What's the one, uh, like, Rose on the Piano, that album? It came out, like, last year, I think. It's insane. <laughs> the man is unhinged. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't listen to any music last year. I have a CD of the album of theirs where it's just, like, the Goblin King with a giant pierced schlong, like, in his throne, like, on the album cover. And I love to like give that to like friends, be like, "Yo, look at this album," and then like they'll like pick it up and put their thumb over his dick, and then I'll be like, "Oh, take your thumb off," and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I think it's funny. Anyway, um, I'm gay. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, also in 2012, Duck, Little Brother, Duck, Don't Take Our Filth Away. Really cool. Shit, like you're totally right. You're totally emo right. Slash screamo album I in the middle. Yo, it's so good. <laughs> It, like, rides the line of that, like, early 2010s, like, twinkle, emo, screamo, like, crossover area so well. Um, and I think 2012 is just a good year for this because Suila Loon's Riala also came out that year. And that's a... I know it's really influential in the screamo scene, and I think it's one of the last, like, great twinkle screamo albums, I guess. Although they're also kind of post-rocky. I don't know if anybody else likes Suila Loon here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I talked up Sweet Loon big time. Yeah. Like okay, I wasn't sure if they were covered on that one. 2013. I think this was covered. I don't know if you all covered this or T minus Grand Gesture, but Brave yeah. Bird. Maybe you know what else worth it. Yeah. We, we did. Yeah. That was one of the first emo bands or first emo bands I saw actually in real life. So yeah. I, I booked a show for them once and it was cool. Um, 2013. Rika, How to Draw a River Step by Step. That is awesome a very, album. very, very underrated band. Yeah, I found out of about them through their split with Empire Empire, and uh, only like like two years after I found out about that split and like had bumped it a lot, I listened to that album and I was like, "Whoa, this is like cry music." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is like some real cry music. Uh, I really wanted to tour Europe while they were still around, like so we could play with them, um, but they broke up. I think last year after like a long schlog and i think we're going to get into some more like heavy things here now uh 2014 calculator this will come to pass great post-hardcore album mm-hmm. uh for fans of like uh like touche i guess 
I would say, but like faster. <laughs> yeah, uh, touche, uh, like touche combined with punch, kind of. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think it really maintains that like post hardcore that's kind of approachable because you can like tell what he's saying the whole time. Oh yeah, it's got the it's got that like the post hardcore touche super unison kind of like drum style. Yeah, definitely. Sense. Um, I, I'm here. Less yeah, a little bit, a little bit punkier, a little bit more like skanky, um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got the sm- little bit of a smoother guitar tone. Yeah, I already said Ostraka, so I'm not going to say any more about them. But like, amazing band, definitely check them out. 2015 Deathless, perfect. Um, I know Keith mentioned it on that episode, but the Kodopaxi album, having all the fun, will make me cry every time. 20, 2016. I love that album. Also, really have a lot of memories with Run Forever, um, the band that the f- the person who did Cotopaxi was yeah. in before that album, before that band. Um, they also were like maybe the band that got me into punk music because, like, I don't know, I saw them like three or four times because they toured in my tiny ass town. Uh, they stopped in like every once in a while because I had a friend here. I saw them open for Bomb the Music Industry in like 2010, and they sounded nothing like they do now. Yeah, I mean they broke up, so they're not a band anymore. Right. Yeah. But, uh, um, <laughs> but like at the end, where they were like, yeah, kind of like I don't know how to put it, like almost like cutesy ish. Yeah, they turned into like an indie rock band. I thought that album was okay, but I like their first two more. Um, I have like a really strong memory with them because like I was like uh like freshly out of the closet as like a a small gay teen, and uh, <laughs> I was at like a show in my town and like. I one of them was like, yo, this we wrote the song like about like this gay friend of ours, like and this like goes out to like everyone who like is dealing with shit because of that and like I don't know, I was young and it like really like impacted me. I was like, damn, this is like I think that's like what sold that moment is what sold me on DIY as a whole as like a really like positive space to be in as like a person who like didn't really have a place. Like, you know, I live in like semi rural Virginia, like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not really like the most welcoming place for like LGBT people as a whole. So like it really like made me feel seen and like, I don't know. I attach a lot of things to that band, but definitely don't think they're like the best band on the planet, but like I have a lot of like memories of them anyway, but Code of Paxi is the best new Pedro, the lion band that I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, two more 2017 droughts stay behind. Uh, another great post-hardcore album for anyone who likes like touche type stuff. I think that album really flew under the radar like when it came out and still does. That band has been on it forever. We were supposed to play their 10-year anniversary show uh, this summer. Like they got a split with William Bonnie, and they always joke about how they will always be the band that has the split with William Bonnie and like nothing else. But like my friend <laughs> said that he talked to them, they were kind of bitter about it. <laughs> I mean, they definitely are a little better. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, Droughts friends, I'm sorry for bringing that up. Um, but Stay Behind is like such an amazing album lyrically, and it's like just a really, really solid post-hardcore emo album, all about like all about Joe's like coming to terms with being like not straight at the age of like like 30 and being married with a kid and like. It's really like sort of a heart wrenching and like I don't know a visceral again. Listen, I think the last album I will bring up, and I 
don't know if you'll covered it. Closers album in 2018. All this will be. Um, I don't think so. I'm sorry. Did you say closure? Closer. <laughs> I'm, closer. I'm, not closure. I'm, I know. I'm. I'm making a joke. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. Um, their like new band Sanagi is on the list. I think for the freshman class. But oh, closer. That's the members of band. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Ryan is the drummer of closer is also in sanagi an amazing album like really really heart-wrenching yeah. it has like it's members of uh real life buildings as well if you mm. remember that band um it's kind of twinkly but like it's also like indie rocky and like shouty and very emo and like i don't know i i didn't realize that people like sang along to songs like that were shouty other than like big bands but we played with them in this basement in pittsburgh uh, like uh, a year ago now and people were singing along to like every single word like there's this one chorus that's like all i want is something familiar and like seeing like a hundred kids in a basement just like screaming that was like insane to me like i was just like whoa this band is like so impactful to so many people and like they don't get enough recognition i think um yeah that yeah. that song heart of the art is the, that one that you just mentioned the all i want something familiar yeah. like like auto played after an album on spotify and it just like fucking ripped my heart out <laughs> really really amazing band and great album yeah those are like my my picks for the last decade i don't know sorry for taking so much time with that <laughs> where do we go from here is the big question we're going to do a series of redemption guests bands that didn't make the list but i think our guests that we've heard you have all wanted and we will go after them and get them if we can but i think quarantine is a perfect time for that ellie we can maybe bleep these out but i think is one of them shit i think from (laughs) is one that we absolutely have to do yep and who would the number three be? Uh, my personal one. Uh, from. T- oh wow. Okay. Like, there's there's a lot of people we could potentially pick for this. Yeah. I think if we wanted to do a cloud crowd pleaser, I think we would almost have to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's met with a sigh. <laughs> So do you do you remember that uh, episode of of Blink One Fifty Five about Man Overboard where uh, they build up Scott Rayner as being the guest and yeah. at the end it's yeah. like <laughs> just <laughs> just Josiah reading an email correspondence yeah had. um I I could only imagine that that would be like the Mom Jeans episode or the Mobo episode <laughs> is just like us reading the Twitter DM of getting shot down. <laughs> i i think that we should kind of limit it just so we don't keep going on forever about like um dina also floated me the idea of occasionally just kind of doing what axe the grind does like picking a random year in the genre and deep diving yeah yeah just every once in a while maybe yeah um but i i I think just keeping up with getting good and big guests i i I think would be cool because like i think before this we were just kind of grabbing like who we knew but I think like getting people that are within our reach that are like are like good and like topical, et cetera, would be nice. And I think another uh just having shorter and digestible episodes instead of these sprawling ones could be 
nice, but I don't want to put rules on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, it's always like 50, 50, whether people like the shorter episodes or whether people like the longer episodes. Yeah. Like anytime we ask about it, because some people like just like sitting back and pretending they have friends for three hours. Right. Um, that's me. <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> but i don't know sound off in the replies and in the comments do you want longer or shorter or somewhere in the middle i don't know i totally feel like we're punishing sometimes but who knows yeah but do we go back to the old format of covering emo news and talking shit like do you miss that i'm gonna be real i hella miss it <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, do a segment. You should do a segment. Emo news and talking shit at the top of every episode. One, I miss like just like the recurring jokes that we started to build in, like yeah. fucking Nick Watch. Um, <laughs> but I, if we if we were to go back to doing that, uh, I I don't know if it would be like every other episode type of thing, and kind of like tying back to like the do we leave anything out question from earlier. You know, I think I think we're in a place where we can start like talking about like the DIY scene more generally rather mm. than just constricting ourselves to email because yeah. I, I I think we do absolutely have the capability to also become a hardcore podcast. Um, and and uh, Kyle, <laughs> yes, Kyle, you and I both like love hip hop with all our heart. Um, you know, yeah. like the other H word. Yeah, I do. I, I also think that we maybe could have done more to to document the rise of emo trap during yeah, the decade under influence. Sure. I also did like adjacent records. I had like a list of adjacent records that I would cover at, during the first cu- couple episodes, and then that kind of fell by the wayside because more albums kept coming out, and it was just getting very hard to keep up with. But yeah. we got to make it a more genre inclusive space, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm down. I I think, like, when we were doing these emo news and talking shit things, like, we have fucking whistleblowers, though. Like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about a band that we thought would be out of reach, like, it definitely got to them. I don't know how. It's weird because, like, it was gossip. Like, we were definitely, like, putting some very minuscule things and, like, dissecting them more than we should have, possibly. But, like... Like, we were doing it definitely with, like, kind of, like, a tongue-in-cheek approach, too, you right. know? So, it always baffles me when people take that sort of stuff seriously, but... Yeah. But, I guess I shouldn't be baffled when, like, people who are involved in emo end up being thin-skinned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, that brings us to the mailbag. We've got 20 minutes in the mailbag. Uh, we asked for some oh, questions. No. We have some... We have... We, we, we have some decent questions. Let's start with, yo, homies, thoughts on bands like Gleamer, Charmer, Downward, and Honeymoon, the more fuzzy slash shoegaze pool of quote-unquote emo. But, like, are they emo? Does that even matter? Is the new Charmer album, like, in that direction? No. No. Okay, so why are they here? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was confused by this. I've listened to Gleamer for a long time now, and I never even considered that they might be considered an emo band uh i had never heard the other three bands and i went and listened to them charmer is like not a shoegaze band in my opinion like no. even close i think downward is definitely like experimental and i think they're kind of it's kind of cool so like maybe that rides the line but and i couldn't find the fourth one but like 
I don't know. I think like the genre distinction is maybe not super necessary. Like, you know. But but what if like Gleamer was opening for like an emo band? Do you think that's out of place? I mean, Nicole Dollinganger opened for Code Orange, but like, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Listen to the Pity Sex records. I don't know exactly. Like that's what like I think blew the door open for a band like to all these bands like nothing etc started fucking with emo bands cloakroom uh yeah. were uh oops <laughs> sorry for plug mentioning for, were. Uh, plug for my bandmates old band small hands who when i did press for described as dreamo because i was in high school <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah um so actually on like the subject of some of these bands um i don't think they're like really descended from like pity sex or that they're like super shoegazy um not that i'm not saying that they're not influenced by shoegaze but i also think that this person like did not include like probably the best project of the style in my opinion which is horse jumper of love i always thought they were more of like uh slow core ish yeah i don't know if well even i i was though. i was actually gonna say like these these band like gleamer i know for a fact like are very heavily influenced by Duster. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, it it feels kind of like uh, the more lo-fi cacophonous side of, like, the slowcore, sadcore sound of the mid-late 90s. Yeah, I was just really confused by Charmer on this list, mostly. Like, I, I listened think to that. Like a, subcon- like a subconscious typo. There's a lot of these bands, like, uh, Slow Crush. There's Slow Crush, and there's... Here's one, Teenage Wrist. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's like maybe the biggest one I was thinking of because I was listening to them and then I read this album and this uh, question and I was like, oh, like where's that band? Like that's definitely like in the middle there. Yeah, or uh, Narrowhead. Well, like so, I think the one thing that that like drummed up in my head when this question came in is a lot of these bands can either pivot to emo or like sometimes I can see them like going with like metal or like hardcore sometimes. Were they, like, tour with those bands? I think, like, maybe, like, the connecting thread is, like, a lineage of, like, people who used to be in, like, emo bands as well that kind of, like, blew it open. Like, I think, like, the, like, cloakroom connection is also kind of pertinent to, like, grown-ups, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that, I think, is what connects these, like, styles. But I think, materially, that there's not, like, a ton of, like, connective tissue there. I I do think this is, like... Like that in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, what people called post-hardcore meant that the members used to be in hardcore bands. Like it was specifically used just for that. Now I think this is kind of like the modern equivalent of that, but it doesn't sound like what we know post-hardcore to be, so we have to have a new name for it. 100%. I'd love to hear an E-word follow-up episode or at least a segment on major omissions from the Vulture list. I like your take on it as an official guide or as an unofficial guide through significant touch points in the genre's history, but were there gaps in the histories that you thought they missed? There were there were several screamo gaps, I thought. Um, obviously, Funeral Diner. Teddy Propane uh, DM'd us and was like, yeah, Yafet Koto wasn't on on the list and that's a huge omission because they pioneered like a, a much more like melodic sort of screamo i think mm-hmm. um like the, the reach out and honey will split was also not represented and i think they could like if they were gonna go like the very genre inclusive direction they did maybe they could have thrown in a little peep song or something 
someone replied to this and was like honestly mom jeans could have been on there and i was like it didn't need to be on there but i mean if you're trying to put like the definitive songs or bands that make up emo from start to finish yeah i mean to to a certain degree but i also think that maybe they didn't need to include mom jeans uh because they had modern baseball on the list already (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like the 90s midwest and emo pop they didn't miss anything they they threw in a like a surprisingly like decent number of what i consider like quote-unquote real emo you know um emotive hardcore in the pure sense like uh don martin three and bands of that ilk yeah shout out shout out nina kakorin again <laughs> and also the emo revival was covered enough too i mean like i'm not mad that i didn't see like i kill giants on there they got the ones that needed to be on there i would definitely um, say newer screamo was underrepresented as well like i like how they said it earlier they honestly could probably do like a completely different hundred or at least like 50, 50 or 75 song like list about screamo but yeah say love you <laughs> I don't know. It was. It's a really hard. It was a really hard job. Like yeah. I don't yeah. envy oh, them. Totally. Uh, what's the most important band of the emo revival and why? I have a good one for this because I remember on the snowing episode, John said the guys from 1999 started this all because they knew so much about OG emo. So technically, that's a good fucking answer. Did they say 1999 or 1994. Oops, 1994. The band. I was I was super confused. <laughs> I was like, I, I googled 1999 band and got like awful Google results yeah, just now. Yeah. 1994 <laughs> exclamation point. My bad. But yeah, John was like, these people introduced everyone in the Philly and East Coast to emo or to like cap and jazz. That's a that's a really fucking good answer. Um. If you wanna, if you wanna take like the the poptimist route, you'd probably say the hotel year, right? I would argue They're... the world is over that personally. What band introduced bands the most, or like opened the door for more bands? <sighs> Modern baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. I'm I'm real sorry, but like I'm pr- like they uh, they crossed over into pop punk like no emo revival band had before single-handedly like brought in at least a couple thousand kids into like real diy emo all right this one is a throwaway question but i like it do you have a favorite dog breed uh i like pit bulls um my parents have a pit bull bulldog mix that is like the sweetest dog in the entire fucking world uh i like rottweilers i like german shepherds uh i'll go with huskies and akitas are really cool but i also Mm. think that bull terriers are adorable and goofy looking so i love them hell yeah yeah i like terriers they tend to have funny personalities and big personalities i like french bulldogs i have a pit mix that is a very difficult dog to own and i finally found out like what his pit like he's a pit hound mix and i read that like that is like the hardest like breed to manage and i feel kind of proud of myself for having a good pit mix myself I'm proud of you too. God Thank damn. you. Uh, does post emo actually exist? I mean, are we gonna have to do an episode on post emo at some point? Everything exists. <laughs> Plug for my Twitter bot at obscure genre. 
<laughs> you know what's you know, you, I mean you know what's like really fucking like funny is that if you go onto like Forfa Andy describes what we consider like the classic Midwest twinkle bands as post emo that's what he calls them oh, post emo in Europe yeah I, I mean if we're talking about like post rock influenced emo it's like I think there's a pretty easy like group of bands that you could tag as that like you know like moving mountains early world is uh yeah i'd make an argument for like clean vocals pianos as well but even so, like as far back as like 2005 like newfound interest in connecticut was doing it like before all of those bands so, yeah and i think post emo oh, yeah sorry go ahead <laughs> i think post emo is being known as what glass beach and nouns and uh brave little abacus like that world of like boundless throwing everything at the wall is post emo. Yeah, th- yeah, throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Not necessarily like post rock, post emo as post rock plus emo, but post emo as in like what comes after emo. Um, I think this shows how out of touch I am again because I remember like mid 2010s that was like like post rock influenced emo was being referred to as post emo right. yeah i mean again this term has been like thrown around for so many different styles uh-huh. but i think like right now it like probably most accurately refers to i mean not even necessarily like bands like glass beach who are taking like a really elliptical approach to the genre but like a band like mover shaker or origami angel yeah that have like really widespread tastes and like everything but the kitchen sink approach to songwriting even like to a certain extent prince daddy like just very it, like eccentric uh pop punk based emo influenced music with like schizo tendencies i don't think it's cemented but i think it's in its early days of being a codified thing yeah i, I think that's sort of like what i referred to as like prog emo earlier yeah 100 yeah. percent do you think more bands are going to put the objective of we're going to be a post-emo band? I think it's going to happen. I think it's already happening. I also think it's a really hard style to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. What's your most spun albums through isolation? So I I don't really enjoy like re-listening to albums like... Like I can't listen to an album like twice in a row. And I like have to wait like a couple days before listening to it again. But I've been listening to like shit ton of a trap called quest <laughs> really yeah because uh, i i actually just picked up this book about a trap called quest it's a it, it's like a collection of like essays about them but that it's also like a personal history of the author and it's also like kind of like a history of hip-hop as a genre it's really it's a really fucking cool book but um not really much in the way of like the emo tip at all <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't really want to identify with emo right now <laughs> Yeah, I also have like no emo on my recently played. I went with my last FM to like look at for this and like I'm listening to the new Soccer Mommy album. That's like about as close as it gets. Uh, I think it's really good. Um, this will destroy you. Another language has been on my play it a lot recently. Uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Blythe Field, uh, but it's like the side project of uh, Spencer Radcliffe. Um, oh. But the album Days Drift By is like amazing ambient album with some like interesting jazz like samples and like attendances um and of course richmond represent a uh, gift from god's new uh, most recent album approximation of a human it's like amazing metalcore 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I scrolled past all the hip hop on my recently listened. Um, I found Drive Like Jay, whose first album, uh, first Pretty Girls Make Graves album, uh, uh, Minus the Bear, Ted Leo, Graham Parsons, and this band Cattle Drums. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of them, but they're like mathcore emo. Cattle decap? They, I mean, uh, cattle drums. Cattle they sound, <laughs> but no, like I'm serious. You should listen. They literally sound like like the Twinkle version of the Callous Boys, like down to the vocals. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I've listened to the new Namdi album that came out while in quarantine, and it's my favorite thing of the year. Just very, very out there hip hop. Um, been getting into Nicholas F. Um, because I I've been. I basically took like one and a half years of of vinyl that I've bought and not listened to and listened to it in like a month and one of those was my Lil Ugly main box set that includes a Nicholas F album. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Amazing so Richmond Richmond yeah. person. Ooh. Nicholas F is so good. Yeah, I I'm really fucking stuck in listening to all of his music right now. Um and I also got into um diving into all the Carly Cosgrove songs i think there's like two eps and or something like that maybe three eps but uh i really like that band um, i'm just gonna yeah i think every aging punk has a copy of that nicholas f album uh <laughs> which like which which one uh well i mean the one that comes to mind is like matt from majority rule loves that album he has a copy of it uh in his like often playing record area at his house um but like i feel people i like see people like older like punk people that i know like hyping that album up still really which is really cool yeah maybe it's a virginia thing but like people love that album yeah the one that was in the box set was um trick dice um okay these are bigger questions it seems parentheses to me that brand new has been canceled harder than most others true why i don't agree i think brand new have been canceled like very softly like i think when it first happened like because brand new was so big there was a real big deal made out of made out of it um and then because of how big brand new was like it then like went the other direction real hard. Like even people I know who are like very much like, oh, bands are canceled and you should not listen to them ever. I've I fucking caught them. I've ca- I've caught them in your recent listens. You forgot to put on private mode. <laughs> you gotta erase those scrovels. Yeah. <laughs> I think that brand new is sort of like too big to cancel effectively. You know, they're not a DIY band. They're like so far past being a DIY band that like people who don't even know what cancel culture is like that band, you know, Mm -hmm. I think also like on a musical level, they were pretty important to the genre and people aren't going back and canceling the Smiths. Well, some people are, people are trying, (laughs) no one one pays attention to them or like, I don't, I, I highly doubt that you're going to get canceled for listening to like, the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin, like despite the shitty things that the members of those bands did. Um, and it, it like feels weird to me to like put brand new, like in the quote unquote important artist category. But I mean, it's been 20 years and 
their albums, like despite the actions of Jesse Lacey, have had like a genuine artistic impact, not just on emo, but like on like kind of a generation of alt rock artists. And it's it's kind of hard to ignore that. Like, I it, it seems wrong to like try and write it out of history, you know. But like, I think the person saying that what they're noticing is like that they are canceled harder and i don't think that's even true i mean there's an active subreddit there's an active facebook group oh deja and tinder (laughs) like it's almost as if they have gotten a just like a slap on the wrist but like i i i don't know i think that's just because they are so big but also like pop punk kids don't fucking care they don't adhere to anything i don't think they've been canceled harder i think i don't i don't want to put i don't want to qualify how hard cancellations are because it it seems insensitive but i don't think that they are the most i think if they announced like a reunion tour they would get less backlash than this recent louis ck special that's my hypothesis brand new also has a significantly smaller uh listener base than louis ck does to be fair i don't actually I think that. I agree with that. Really? Yeah, I, think think so. it, I think it might be about evenly matched. Interesting. I'm not a huge yeah. Brand New fan anyway. Like, I wasn't before, and I still am not. So, you know, I don't know that I have the best, like, view on the whole thing anyway. I, but, like, like, what's interesting is, like, this is, like, thousands of people's favorite band. They inspired, like, a, a sort of slavish devotion that is been rarely seen since morrissey (laughs) yeah or or like like is it's like the blake from jawbreaker effect times a million because brand new was more popular you know all right (sighs) dream emo band lineup vocals guitar bass drums other build a band (laughs) can other people please go first i gotta go first i all right you can go first (laughs) all right uh vocals and playing guitar shannon from awake with still in bed Lead guitar, Joe from Algernon. Bass, I'm going a little out of pocket. John from Jeff Rosenstock. I just think he's a really creative bass player, and he's funny. And uh, drums, I'm going to go with Ryland from Origami Angel. All right, I got one for y'all. Very different band that I'm making here. Uh, I'm going to say early David Bazan on vocals and guitar. (laughs) Uh, We're going to go with Chris and Scott from Mineral. uh, Second and third guitar. Chris Teddy playing baritone guitar instead of a bassist (laughs) uh the drummer from pianos and the xylophone or the the xylophonist from the american analog set (laughs) solid so you just want like Uh, the most downtrodden sad band (laughs) (laughs) many people know this but like i do admin the slow cave as well because I am, <laughs> I'm a simp for slowcore. <laughs> Look, I didn't put any members of Chris's weird in it, so like, oh, okay. be thankful for that. <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna say on drums, Liam from Commander Salamander. Two guitarists, uh, Bob Nana and Dan Yemen. On bass, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna also like go a little bit out of pocket on this and say Chris Novoselic from Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> and on vocals, uh, uh, 
who would be a who would be a good vocalist for this fucked up blend? Sam from Born Against. <laughs> That's pretty punk. Yeah. We got very different bands. All three of us. <laughs> And I think that's what's beautiful. Coexist bumper sticker, but it's emo. <laughs> all right. The most important question of all, have you smoked weed? Because I have, and I looked really cool doing it. So I know I probably sound like I smoked weed during this episode because I've just been fucking stupid the entire time, like next level than what I normally am. But weed is like gross, guys. <laughs> I have never smoked weed. Like, like, I'm, like, not once at all. Never in my life. Wow. I rolled a joint for my friend once, but I have never smoked weed. I'm straight edge. Hardcore <laughs> in my ever, life. Have, <laughs> have you kidding. ever smoked weed, Kyle? Yeah, like, in high school, my freshman year, and I never had a good time. And one time I had, like, a major wild panic attack, and I never have since. Yeah, so for the longest time, weed was just kind of boring. And then at a certain point, like, I think my body chemistry changed because I started getting, like, all of the physical symptoms of a panic attack, but my brain w- wasn't, like, processing that it was a panic attack, so I couldn't, like, use any coping mechanisms. And it was just every time it was just, like, a weird out-of-body experience, and I would get, like, weird semi-painful feelings throughout my body, so... I uh, I'm not pro weed. I'm I'm pro legalization. I'm just not pro the substance. <laughs> right. I'm also pro legalization, but I think that everyone who smokes weed should be socially shunned. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think in, I think I think instead of dispensaries we should just have opium dens. <laughs> okay, final question. As the pandemic <laughs> continues to grow. The reality of quarantine world sinks in. We're going to be doing this for a while. What does that mean for DIY? Will Minecraft shows and IG lives have staying power? Or will some new music medium emerge? Or will we say fuck it and start rapping? So I think we all know that DIY is going to be the first thing to come back for music. And um, I feel like a kind of conservative was saying this, but like I feel like... DIY isn't the thing that we should be worried about. I will say I've seen a lot of DIY artists kind of say that like the thing Spotify did where they just added a PayPal PayPal link was kind of garbage. Yeah. Like when really Spotify should just be like decreasing its its take of the profit and honestly so should any record label. Mm-hmm. Um but that also doesn't necessarily apply to a lot of DIY artists. But I think one of the cool things that Bandcamp has been doing is waiving fees. May yeah. 1st is the next one. May 1st. Uh, so if you want to spend money that day, instead of spending money at Amazon or Whole Foods or uh, any Door of the dash. other <laughs> Instacart or any of the other places that will be striking that day, um, support your favorite artist on Bandcamp. Amen. As an artist on Bandcamp who has been affected by uh, coronavirus uh, in both like, you know, like a real life way and in like a band way like uh in in real life uh, outside of music which is fake life uh, obviously um uh like i don't know like i like uh like i lost my job you know and like like a bunch of things like uh you know it's like been really hard like not seeing like my family because like like they're like high risk and like 
my bandmate like lost his apartment because like his his like roommates lost their jobs and then they bailed on him like you know like it like affects people in like real ways but like in like a diy music context like we're like on a release cycle for like two albums which we like already have all this like merch and shit for like like and like you know i spent like the last three months like booking like 50 plus days of tour you know like a lot of my time and like effort has been like you know it's like kind of poofed um and like i think like the biggest thing for me is like there are a lot of expenses which you just like can't get back like we have plane we had plane tickets like booked for europe and like they're non-refundable because like airplanes are a sham uh like i think a lot of people have like who are like musicians who are like actively making music have like a lot of like unrecoupable investments i guess in their own bands like i know like the shin guard and like short fiction people talked about this as well but like definitely like support bands with money if you have the ability to do so uh because like it's definitely not an easy time and yeah i mean it's like my little soapbox my little pity my little pity party for myself here like like you have one album or are both your albums out for pre-order now uh yeah so one of them is like out out and you can listen to the whole thing but the other one is coming out on may 15th uh, with a like a premiere before then so like it'll be available yeah like were your expectations like for like pre-order numbers like were those like met or lower or higher i mean i personally think they were definitely higher we got really lucky actually with the day that we released stuff that it was like the day that everybody started getting their trump bucks as we've been oh, calling them yeah and it was also a friday so like people got paid if they were getting paid um so i think like a lot of people had like expendable income when we like dropped everything it was like not calculated at all so like we sold a lot of copies of like one of our albums the one we had like fewer available for in the first place so like you know that's cool but like and I'm really, really thankful for that because, uh, yeah. like, it's made, like, our lives a lot better. But, you know, it still, like, is not even close to covering, like, the costs of, like, what we've already put into, like, tour and stuff. We were, like, when this stuff started happening, we we literally were, like, two days away from spending, like, $5,000 on a van. And I'm really glad oh, that, God. like, we didn't pull that tr- trigger because, like, we would be really, really fucked if we had but you know we already spend like three thousand dollars on plane tickets and stuff and it's just like like the expenses add up yeah it's like crazy um (laughs) but um i don't know we're also not really a band where like minecraft shows or instagram shows are like an option uh like instagram live is like (laughs) it has terrible audio quality Uh, and like (laughs) there's like five of us and like we'd have to be together in a basement and like none of like as i said like our bassist is like super high risk. He has like terrible asthma. We've had to like take him to the hospital on tour before because like, like during our set, he like had an attack and like, you know, it's like, it's like, so we like don't even want to risk that. And like, um, my, I don't really know how Minecraft shows work, honestly, but like, it, I, I don't really know like how we would do that either. It's all pre recorded. So, like, oh, like, do you like play a live set and then like record it or something? Yeah. Oh yeah, so like we can't do that either because we like can't like get in the same room together. Um, but like, you know, so like I think there are a lot of bands that are also in that spot though. So for like us, and I feel like a lot of people, it's like not 
sustainable because it's not really a huge option in the first place. Um, I, I think like something else has to emerge or like people are going to start like really, really, really feeling it. And like, I've already seen like friends of mine in like bands that are bigger than mine, like start have to starting to have to like sell their gear to like make money to make rent uh, because like rent striking isn't an option for them. Um, and like the money just isn't coming in. Uh, like people who, cause like a lot of people who like play in bands also work at venues and stuff like, um, people that I'm thinking of like off the top of my head are like some of the members of soul glow, uh, like gift from God. Like I know like those people just personally, like they work at venues and those venues are closed and that was their job. And like, other than that, it's like independent contracting and band stuff, which is not like, you know, particularly lucrative and like as a tax, like in tax terms, that's like terrible. So like I've seen like Ruben from Soul Glow is like selling guitars to like make sure that he can stay afloat. You know, it's like pretty depressing. Um, so like I think something has to like start working, or like people are just like not gonna be able to make music. I think that bands are gonna break up for sure. Like, well, like bands that were on like an upward trajectory that like weren't making enough, or that were like making just enough money to like be in a band for a career i think they're just gonna be like well or at least at least even just making enough money to like justify like being in a band like and putting as as much time into bands as they do yeah well you know necessarily even living off of it and this is just uh kind of going back to what you were talking about like we shouldn't be worried about diy i think to some degree that's true because diy um at least in my experience, uh, helps you learn how to like hustle. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the, at the same time, uh, a lot of the, the latest kind of stream of DIY, um, is people who don't know how to hustle. So maybe if this had happened in like 2009 DIY would have come back stronger than ever but right now I think it might actually take a little bit of time I like that this person said will we say fuck it and start rapping because <laughs> that that's a thing that like most people can probably do right now yeah um, not necessarily saying that most people should but Amen to that <laughs> yeah hearing that like short fictions has put up a pre-order for a t-shirt and got two thousand dollars from it was encouraging i mean i feel like that's pretty extreme just putting up a t-shirt and getting two thousand dollars and getting some of your like expenses that you weren't able to recoup paid for is pretty amazing yeah, but definitely but like i don't think like there's going to be any money made off of ig lives or minecraft stuff i think it's just like it's mostly fun i mean the the hate five six thing you might like What's that? you might see well they uh, he's sunny's like doing like uh or at least doing his best to like film bands like doing performances like on live stream and they have like a virtual tip jar um, oh okay contribute to and that sort of thing so you might you might get some mileage out of that and see that work for some people for a little while um but uh, one thing that I saw that I thought was like cool and weird at the same time is that Vans is doing collabs with venues. Yeah. Like, like I I don't know how much the 
proceeds is going like back to the venues and back to like the workers who were uh, like laid off and whatnot. But if uh, if it is like helping people who need it, that would be pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess like a lot of my bitterness about some of the stuff is like local bands that probably make $50 a month playing shows are like acting like they're out of work oh, forever yeah. because of COVID. Like, yeah, it feels very like opportunistic. Yes. And like, uh, yeah, at the, it, it feels opportunistic that people are like using that as like, like a, like a cudgel for sympathy, but it also highlights like the central issue um, which is just that American infrastructure has always been this bad. We're only just now noticing it because, like, we don't have the privilege to ignore it. Um, like, everyone who was living life as a marginalized person in America already knew how fucked all this was. <laughs> and now it's just coming into stark relief for everybody else, you know, maybe like the blue no matter who people will start thinking a, a bit more critically <laughs> about what they what they mean when they say they want things to go back to normal wishful thinking <clears throat> wishful thinking i don't see it happening yeah <laughs> yeah i guess like we don't have it super bad but, like if you want to buy our records do it but like definitely like if you know bands that like have people in them who work in the music industry and other facets support them before anyone else because like they're the people who are hurting the most like and i said soul glow gift from god i like shot them up forever as like real homies who like could use the money right now this made me very sad um but also i think uh, uh that question was like the most lucid i've been this entire episode so <laughs> thanks <laughs> and you know what on the upside you know diy and punk have always found a way and I, you know, 100%. I don't think it's going anywhere as like a movement or like, I think people are going to be hurting and people are going to be hurting for a while as a result of this. But like, you know, people who are grinding will keep grinding, you know, that's what it is. I'm surprised there isn't some like cross punk band that like hasn't stopped touring throughout this. Like, it just <laughs> seems like there would be some fucking band that would still be doing this and like finding I've... squats and playing in them. <laughs> I've also I mean, heard that. It's the it's the type of band who would have been named COVID nineteen since the nineties. <laughs> They're like playing under a bridge, like yeah. in like Cleveland. <laughs> Sorry, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it is pretty fucking funny, especially like imagining them playing crust punk, but like they don't have any Marshall stacks, you know. They, it's like they're just they're playing it on six spiders. Are not plugged into shit. <laughs> first act guitars line six spiders extreme mode (laughs) (laughs) all right well we definitely uh have entered the crisis of time